You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. Church Reality Ohana, thank you so much for being with us. And on this holiday weekend, which I hope is going well and you're blessed um, with family and friends and safely all that, that you are with us. Blessed to have you with us, to worship with you, and to to just spend time in God's Word together as a church family, despite us not being together. Uh, before we get into the Word of God like we do every week, I want to continue our time of worship by taking a, a moment to pray for our tithes and offerings um, and your generosity and your giving that we want to, uh, as an act of worship now, I'm going to give to the Lord and pray over these funds um, that He would use them for His glory. Again, for any information about this or how to give or how to participate in the building of God's kingdom in and through uh, the work at Reality Honolulu. You can check it out at our website. But before we get into the Word of God, as a continued act of worship, as we give, let's pray for that now. God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for the ability to gather, even though it's digital, that we would feel unified and connected and together. And we thank you for the ability to, to gather in small groups and homes, doing house church and um, take communion and pray for one another and, and fellowship safely. And we pray that you would just bless today and that God, you would use these funds all the giving, all the tithe, all the resources that you've entrusted us with, that you would use them for the furthering of your kingdom, that many would come to know you and experience the love of God through the person of Jesus Christ. So God, we pray for uh, more salvations, more discipleship, uh, more ways in which we can serve the community around us. And so God, be glorified and honored today. in our time, I pray that you would use me as your mouthpiece, that I would be able to communicate the truths of your word uh, correctly and rightfully and anointed. Um, we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, uh, we are going to get right into the Word of God. We are in Acts chapter 16, verses 1 through 5. Again, we are just walking through the book of Acts and allowing the Holy Spirit to minister to us, right? Each week we look in the context and um, kind of give an explanation of what's going on in the text, what, what's happening culturally, and, and uh, what is God doing there, and how does it apply to us? And so uh, why don't you read with me Acts 16, verses 1 through 5, reading out of the NIV translation, as I do each week, and it says this. Paul came to Derbe and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decision reached 
of the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. Okay, for context's sake, to kind of catch us up or remind us where we were last week, if you remember, um, at the end of chapter 15, the last few verses there, we camped out on and we, and we looked at really a hard part in the church's story. Um, it was this disagreement in the text. It says a sharp disagreement. Literally, it's like an emotional or violent like argument that Paul and Barnabas had uh, really over something that maybe we read and go, wow, that's not that big a deal or couldn't you just figure it out? But it was regarding John Mark, Barnabas's cousin, whether he was going to accompany them and go with them on this second missionary journey, which we see starting here today. And unfortunately... And maybe to some of our surprise, right? This is Paul and Barnabas. These are like the, the leaders in the church at the time. They couldn't work it out. They could not work out this disagreement and they parted ways. Like it was bad enough that they couldn't work it out. They parted ways. And we don't really hear about Barnabas anymore. We do hear about Paul, obviously, and that's where we pick up today. And that's what we see. We see today the start of Paul's, what we call his second secondary missionary journey, right? Leaving Antioch and going to the cities that we just read about in Acts 13 and 14, that he traveled to and preached the gospel and many came to be saved and there was intense persecution. But this is just kind of just where he went. He's going back, right? With the purpose of strengthening the churches and equipping the saints and checking on them, a real shepherd pastoral heart, a real awesome heart that he has to go do that. But we see here, um, after kind of that falling out, he no longer has his, his missionary buddy, his, his companion, his partner, uh, Barnabas, which they've been great uh, partners in the gospel going forth to this time. But this is the first time in these first few verses of Acts 16 that we meet and come across this young man named Timothy. It's the first time Timothy comes on the scene. And we get introduced with what we'll see and learn would become a very dear, not only partner in ministry, but a companion and even go as far as Paul would refer to him as his son in the faith. Um, but first, before we kind of get into some application and what it means for us, um, obviously, I want to... Um, get a bit into the context and explanation uh, first a bit before we pull out any application because it's important that we really understand what's happening here in the first five verses of Acts 16. So I uh, uh, hope you're with me. I wouldn't know if you weren't, but hopefully you are. And we're going to walk through and explain a little of the text and then really pull out some, uh, I believe, uh, things that we can note and learn from that is so encouraging today. And so if you're coming into service today, or just this season, which I believe we probably all are just heavy and discouraged and broken and hurt and just down. Um, I pray and hope that what we see today would be encouraging to you. And so let's give a little context first, though. So what we see here in Acts 16, verses 1 through 5, is a new companion is added, right? It's Timothy. And again, 
Paul is, is leaving Antioch. He's traveling east to west, back up to kind of modern day Turkey there in the cities of Lystra and Derbe, these areas where he just was. And he encounters a young man named Timothy. And it says here that he, he, I guess it's, he stands out to Paul. Right? He's highlighted. People are speaking well of him. He stands out to Paul. And a little bit about Timothy that we know is that um, this, this boy, probably a teenager at the time, his father was an unbelieving Gentile, a Greek, but his mother and his grandmother were Jewish. And what we can glean is that they, they're the ones that primarily raised him up in the scriptures. Uh, we, read, we know more about them from uh, the, the Paul's second letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy 1.5. We hear about Timothy's mom and, and grandma. But these two ladies, uh, along with Timothy... Most likely, it probably, they probably became Christians during Paul's first missionary journeys in Acts 14, when he just went through these same cities and preached the gospel, right? These are new, fairly new converts. Some time has passed, but this is already the fruit of the ministry of Paul and Barnabas previously. And what we see here is that Timothy apparently displayed already tremendous spiritual maturity. Again, he's, he's, he's probably a teenager at this time, but as a result of just this, this young uh, little Timothy, right, excited about Jesus, about following Jesus, hasn't been saved much. I mean, just, just think of that, right? There's this, this young Timothy, hungry for the word, has a good reputation. Um, his mom and his grandma have taught him the scriptures. And then the apostle Paul comes to town and says, come with me. Accompany me to continue this missionary journey. I mean, like, wow, right? Like, that's pretty crazy. Um, and what, what the text goes on to say here is that Paul has Timothy circumcised. And this may be odd to you or out of place or even for me to note for a second. But if you've been with us the past few weeks and you've seen the significance of what happened last chapter, you would know that this, is a, this was a really big deal and it was a source of contention because there was believers going around telling Gentile believers that in order to be truly saved, genuinely accepted into the family of God, you needed to adopt some of the Jewish practices and religious uh, culture, including circumcision, in addition to believing. There's a big deal, big meeting in Jerusalem, the council, the elders, discussion, debate, and obviously what happened was they voted and they decided, um, rightfully so, that being circumcised was not a prerequisite or a requirement for salvation, and this was a major part of Paul's message that he was taking back to these cities. Hey, I just want to clear it up. I know you heard that uh, you, you, not only do you have to believe in Jesus, but you have to be circumcised and adopt all these other Jewish practices. He was clearing up that, no, no, you don't have to become um, religiously Jewish. You can follow Jesus in your own unique culture. With your unique cultural identity, become a follower of Jesus. So this might seem odd that Paul has Timothy circumcised. Again, some might argue reading this that this is compromising what the Jerusalem council just said didn't have to happen. But again, it's not, it's not what's happening here. 
Paul has Timothy circumcised out of a sensitivity to the Jewish audiences. Let me, let me explain. Again, some would argue that this is uh, not right. But again, Paul, which we see later in, 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 with Titus, he actually strongly disagreed or he strongly uh, didn't want Titus to be circumcised, even though he was pure Greek, um, out of this same principle. So Paul isn't like breaking the rules that he just made here. This is what's happening. This is why it's different with Timothy in this situation. Again, you have to understand that Timothy is both Jew and Greek. And because rabbinic law back then taught that a child born from a Jewish mother, which that, that, that side of his family was Jewish, right? His dad was Greek. Um, that, that, a child, that a child born of a Jewish mother and a Greek father was considered to be Jewish. That was the rabbinic law back then. And so Paul knew Timothy, like he was looking ahead at the journeys they were going to go on this missionary journey. Paul knew Timothy would constantly be offending any Jews they encountered if he wasn't circumcised as a Jew on his mother's side. Again, this is so foreign to us because we are not in that cultural context. And so we think this is really strange, but it is very much not at the time. And even though this is strange and kind of crazy here, as a matter of missionary strategy, not only that, but as a sign of respect to the Jewish people and to Timothy himself's Jewish heritage and culture, and as an attempt to maintain Jewish Gentile unity, Timothy undergoes this painful surgery. Again, this may be foreign to us and crazy, but in time, we'll see that Timothy's like mixed heritage, this Jewish-Greek background, would actually allow him to bridge different cultures effectively in and out, both Jews and Gentiles alike. God would use who he was so uniquely and effectively for the furthering of the gospel. And, and even though doing this, this you know, Jewish religious um, um, act of circumcision, he wasn't doing it out of uh, salvation or for salvation's sake, but he was actually doing it not only to honor his own uh, cultural heritage, but also as a missionary strategy to have the gospel go forth in those areas. And what we'll see is that real fruit and significance would come from this. Okay, so pull out for a second. Um, a salient point here, I believe, is that what we will learn is that what we see here in Acts 16 is the start, that, oh, the start of uh, a wonderful, relationship that over time would develop into something so beautiful and wonderful and effective and fruitful and amazing between Timothy and Paul. Again, we read in 1 Corinthians 4 and Philippians 2 and 1 Timothy 1 and 2 Timothy, Paul considered this man, this young teenage man at the time that would grow into a young man, he would refer to him as a son and a co-worker and a partner in the gospel. And again, if you didn't know or make the connection, the books or rather the letters of 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, 
hence the name, are letters written by Paul to Timothy. And these letters are encouraging, instructing, and equipping this, his younger um, son, right? his partner, his younger partner in the ministry. If you read those letters, it's how to be a pastor, how to be a leader in the church, how to navigate church drama. And I, I'm hoping that you actually this week would go and like read First and Second Timothy, knowing the relationship, knowing where the relationship began, that Paul took young Timothy under his wing and and radically was used uh, by God for the furthering of the gospel. And you get to see this uh, mentor-mentee relationship form and happen. And so I'd encourage you to do that this week um, outside of your normal Bible reading to just read 1 and 2 Timothy and be blessed by that, knowing a little bit more context. But... Here's where I want to kind of segue, you know, application-wise. What I want to pull out or like the singular theme or lesson that I want to encourage us with today is this. If it wasn't for the falling out of Paul and Barnabas that we saw last week in Acts 15, then Timothy wouldn't even have been in the picture here. Like, do you see that? Paul wouldn't have needed another companion and partner to pick up along the way if they had just worked out the problem. Like, literally, it would change the course of some of the New Testament and the Bible, and there wouldn't be the letters of First and Second Timothy and you know, all that God did that would, that would go to, to do through, in and through, Timothy and Paul would be altered. And the whole rich and wonderful relationship that we see between Paul and Timothy would not have even existed if the actual drama and breakup and relational tension hadn't happened last chapter. That's crazy. Right? If you think of like the sovereignty of God and, and, and God's rule and reign and how he orders things and like look what God did through something that was so horrible and heartbreaking and, and even like a, a really um, hard part of the church's history, God is doing something new. And again, this is a bit complimenting or piggybacking from last week, but I think it's, I think it's really important to highlight how God took a really horrible situation last week. And he's doing new things, like unexpected, but really good things this week. Like, I don't don't want it to pass us over, and I know there's a lot of ways you could teach this text, but but I want to, like, acknowledge that. And, like, I'm hoping that it's encouraging. And again, I I don't want to use this, nor do I think we should use this one situation as a blueprint or a recipe for how God is always going to do it all the time in our life when bad things happen, all of a sudden, right after he provides. I don't want to use it as a blueprint for what is always going to happen every time in the same timing, of course. But I do want it to highlight a tangible example that I believe reminds us of what the heart and the character of God is for his people and his desire for each of us. And it's this. I want us to be reminded that our God, 
the living and active creator God of the Bible is a God who redeems, is a God who breathes new life into dead places, and is a God who provides new beginnings in our lives. Guys, our God redeems, right? Redemption is at the heart of the gospel. The gospel is that God takes sinners and he makes them saints, that he takes our sin and its penalty, that Jesus died for it and he clears our debt, that we were once as crimson stained, but he now washes us white as snow. Redemption is at the heart of the gospel. And guys, God also does this with relationships in our lives. He also does this with hard seasons, with the broken places in each of our lives. He is a God who who is able, who wants to and desires to bring redemption to those broken places and broken relationships in our lives. What we have to know about our God also is our God breathes new life into dead places. Guys, raising dead dead things to life is also at the heart of the gospel message. Right? Once we were dead in our sins, but now we are made alive through Christ Jesus. Right, Once we were spiritually dead, headed for eternal death and separation, but the gospel, the good news, brings us not only life abundant, but life eternal. The gospel breathes life, brings new life into dead places, and he does that also in our lives. He breathes life into things that we were thought were dead. He brings us joy from sorrow and mourning. He brings us hope when we're hopeless. He reminds us of his unconditional love and acceptance when we feel like we're all alone and forgotten. Guys, I've been a pastor long enough to see that God is in the business of bringing new life in relationships, in marriages, between siblings, between parents and kids, between broken relationships that God is able and capable and desire to breathe life into the places in our lives that we feel like are dead and gone. Our God is a God that brings new life, that breathes it into those places. And our God is, our, is a God that provides new beginnings. He provides new beginnings. Again, this is what the gospel does. Right? We, once we're saved, once we believe, once we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, Scripture would tell us. Paul would write to the Corinthians that we are now new creations, that the old has passed and the new has come, that we're born again. Church, we get a second start through Jesus Christ. 
He forgives our sin. He redeems our past. We get a do-over. God provides new beginnings. And, and, and we're reminded of that in Paul's situation here. But he even does it with relationships. Right? Timothy and this partnership on the second missionary journey is a new beginning. And it's a beautiful new beginning. They themselves had no idea what would come with it. Paul, alone, you know, with Silas. He was there with Silas. But, he, but this long relationship with Barnabas had ended. There was heartbreak. He was on this new journey with Silas, who he didn't know. And he came across this young man named Timothy. And it was the start of a new beginning, a new relationship, a new partnership, and a new season in their lives. And again, this beautiful new beginning was followed, uh, following a really hard relational breakup. And honestly, guys, I can testify that this is the very thing that God does for his people. That after seasons of heartbreak, after fallouts of relationships, after lost hope, after loss, that our God, the living and active creator God of the Bible through his son, Jesus Christ desires and is able and does bring about new beginnings, new relationships and new seasons of our lives. And the reason why I wanted to camp out and to remind us this morning is that we are in a season this COVID season on top of normal life, this whole season, this last year has been filled with brutal loss. Loss in a lot of different ways. Loss of life, loss of normalcy, loss of relationships over very differing opinions of the world. There's been brokenness, there's been pain, there's been heartbreak. We are living, I think for a lot of us, I know we're living in a season of the end of Acts 15, where we just feel like man, we're in a season of loss and brokenness and heartache and, oh, I've missed out and oh, I've lost a loved one and you, you name it. I, I feel like for a lot of us, we're like, God, I feel broken I'm hurting, tired, I'm weak. My desire today is to merely encourage all of us, myself included, to trust in our God, to have faith in our God and be reminded that our God is a God who redeems, that our God is a God who breathes life into dead places, into dead seasons. And then our God is a God of new beginnings. Again, the timing of how this comes about isn't, and how it comes about, isn't going to just be how, how Paul and Timothy are, right? Right after another, and it's going to look the same, and a, a relationship was broken, and he gives me a new one all of a sudden. But again, it's not going to look exactly like this. But guys, I pray that God revives and provides for you in exactly the way you need it. And I believe that our God can because he knows you better than anyone. 
He has more thoughts about you than the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. He knows every hair on your head. He knows exactly what you need. And church, I want you to have faith and trust that God is able, that I'm praying for you, that God revives and provides for you in exactly the way you need it this season. And guys, as we enter into this time of worship, in the same vein as what we've been talking about, I want to allow King David, a worship leader and a man after God's own heart. I want his words to prepare our hearts for worship this morning. And I want to do it by reading Psalm 103. I'm going to read this, be encouraged, be stirred up. I pray that our hearts would be uh, prepared to worship uh, in these few next songs. Here it is. Psalm 103, a Psalm of David. He says, let all that I am praise the Lord. With my whole heart, I will praise his holy name. Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things he does for me. He forgives all my sins. He heals all my diseases. He redeems me from death and crowns me with love and tender mercies. He fills my life with good things. My youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord gives righteousness and justice to all who are treated unfairly. He revealed his character to Moses and his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and he's merciful, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse us, nor remain angry forever. He does not punish us for all our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. For his unfailing love towards those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far as from the east is from the west. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. For he knows how weak we are. He remembers we are only dust. Our days on earth are like grass, like wild flowers. We bloom and die. The wind blows and we are gone as though we have never been here. But the love of the Lord remains forever with those who fear him. His salvation extends to the children's children of those who are faithful to his covenant and those who obey his commandments. The Lord has made the heavens his throne. From there, he rules over everything. Praise the Lord, you angels, you mighty ones who carry out his plans, listening for each of his commands. Yes, praise the Lord, you armies of angels who serve him and do his will. Praise the Lord, everything he has created, everything in all his kingdom. Let all that I am praise the Lord. God, thank you. Thank you for this time to be reminded that you are a God who redeems. You are a God who breathes new life into dead spaces, and you are a God of new beginnings. God, I pray that this would have been encouraged, uh, encouraging to those listening. I pray as we worship you now, as King David said, that we would praise the Lord with all that we are, with all our hearts. We thank you for today. 
We pray that you would sustain us this week, that you would revive us and restore and redeem the broken places of our life. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.